Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Diamonds. Really excited for today's guest. She grew up playing for Panda's Volleyball Club, where she's a provincial champion. She's currently at UBC, where she's a defending national champion for youth sports. And she's been with Volleyball Canada since 15, playing on our youth national team, our next-gen national team. And you will recognize her from our senior A team. Please welcome to the show, Casey Jost. Casey, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. I'm super stoked to be here. It took a while to organize the time that worked for both of us. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your patience in making this work. And I'm sure our listeners recognize your name, but if anyone's wondering which one you are, there are a couple Sally pictures that I've seen on like every Volleyball Canada post since I think you did it. So if you're wondering who's on the show today, it's the Lib who's always like celebrating. Yeah, there's a couple. Uh, I got a lot of memes sent to me of like Avengers making superhero <laughs> poses. And I was like, oh, I guess my theatrical dance days really stayed with me a bit but <laughs> nice that might be the perfect segue before we get into your national team stuff i was curious what got you into volleyball and it sounds like you were doing other sports or doing dance as a kid growing up yeah so everyone in my family plays hockey so it started out where i obviously had to play hockey and i think it was like initiation novice age and uh i remember being like mom like i don't want to be like the rest of the family like no i want to dance and she was like okay, honey, like, whatever you want to do. But I'm sure she was not thrilled. Um, but she let me do it. And so I danced all the way up until grade 11. And she was always like, well, do you want to try basketball? Do you want to play volleyball? Because she played both of those at college. Uh, superhuman athlete, that woman. So she was like, maybe something like a little more sporty. <laughs> and I was like, really adamant that I didn't want to. And then I think I was visiting my cousin in Kelowna. And she was doing a six-pack uh, volleyball camp. And uh, if I didn't go with her, I was going to be stuck home alone, like, the entire day while everyone just had fun. So I was like, fine, I'll do it. Like, I'll go. And then I was there, and I was like, shoot, this is actually really fun. And uh, I'm actually pretty good at it. <laughs> so then after that, I think I was I think grade nine, eight, maybe. So I had done like a couple camps, but I still danced. And then um, one of my mom's friends who she played with, like, you should take Casey to the Pandas tryout. And Terry Daniluk, actually, and his wife, Lori, coached my mom in high school. And so I think she saw Terry at the U of A game or like Saddle Center tournament. And he was like, yeah, like go to the Pandas tryout. And so then after that, I was like, I can do dance and volleyball. And then I played one year with Pablo. I was like, this is all I want to do. Like, this is, I'm a volleyball player now, like, hanging up the ballet shoes. Like, it's game, it's end game for me. So, yeah, I started playing only volleyball in grade 11. That's so cool. And, and if you had to think about it, what stood out that you wanted to play like a team sport or a ball sport? Because I'm sure you still get like the social aspect, the training through like something like yeah. dance, right? But what made sport that much more appealing for you? I mean, I'm a really competitive person in general. Like I don't think I can play a board game without getting really, really fired up. Um, so I think to have an outlet for that was really good for me. Um, Obviously, dance was great for my physical literacy and just my ability to pick up new motor skills and such. But um, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed how actively competitive you could be every point, whether that was like going after a ball or taking a tug on a ball. I was a left side in my day. So (laughs) that was also really fun. I was living the dream out there, the P2 lifestyle. But um, my first 
club coach with Pandas was actually um, Neil Kimiyashida, who's the assistant coach of the U of A. Um, we call him Mia, but I just also remember being so in love with all of the drills he had us doing. Like his English was really, really poor, but you knew exactly what you were doing. It was like high energy, high intensity, every drill. And he just hit like 90 down balls, perfect accuracy. And like, would just be yelling at us to go after balls and like the kindest, but most like energizing way. And I think I really enjoyed and thrive in that sort of environment. So I think overall the experience was just so much more fun for me in so many different ways. Yeah, that's so cool to hear about. So obviously with your mom following a volleyball pathway and coming from an athletic family, did you know what like the provincial team was or what post-secondary was going to be? Or did a club like Pandas really show you like what the next level could be? I feel like a little bit of both, obviously. Um, I think once I got into the club that taught you about those things and then provided resources to help you understand what that looks like moving forward it became more real in my mind. And then also too, because it's so closely connected to the U of A, we would go to the U of A game. Um, and the pandas would also come into our practices, right? Whether that would be just to show us how a skill is done or um, help coach some days. I think that too just created that natural like flow. So I remember just going to all of the U of A games and sitting in the stands and just being like, oh my gosh, like Casey Otto, Jesse Niles, like Nick Cousteau, like all these girls are just absolutely unreal. And so I think healthy balance between A, understanding sports, just coming from an athletic family, B, being in a program or a club that really advocated for the improvement or the continuance of girls in sport in general. And then being around all of the university girls, I think kind of tied together that just sort of started to happen naturally. And then obviously I just didn't want to stop playing volleyball. So in the summers it was like, okay, what's the next thing that I can try out for, which was Team Alberta. And once I started playing with Pandas, I played Team Alberta in the summers every summer. Yeah, it's great to hear that you had role models at the varsity level with Pandas because I was just going to ask if you ever watched Jesse Niles play because I think she stands out as an athlete who could show how how dominant you could be at the libero position. Like even though you're not scoring points, like she definitely influenced a lot of matches. So uh, was that something you were drawn to? I know you said you were a left side, but after seeing someone like Jesse play libero, was that a, a position going to be appealing to you? Oh yeah, like I think obviously as a left side. My first thought was, there's another left side on that team with the same name as me, and she's super good. So, I mean, young me was like, oh. Um, but I knew eventually as I got older, given my size, and if I wanted to continue playing volleyball, I would have to make a transition to uh, Lib. And I talked a lot with my coaches too. Like, Gavin Little was one of my coaches, and we had conversations around it. Um, so, I knew that was eventually what was going to happen. So, I just started watching more closely at other lifts and I mean, like you said, Jesse was super dominant and it was really hard not to pay attention to her too, just how she managed the court even. Um, so yeah, also I remember maybe she was playing Regina or Sask or something. It was another green team. She pulled out the lib dump and immediately I was like, yeah, there we go. That is sweet. Like that is sick. And uh, I'm sure other libs have done it, but anytime... I would try it in practice or something. I'd be like, I'm pulling a Jesse Niles. Like, <laughs> this is what's going on. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously. And then 
watching her transition from university into the national team was really cool too. Now, were you aware of how fast you're accelerating? Because I, I think by maybe today's standards, you were maybe a late entry indoor sport as far as like taking a full time. But uh, th- there was older people than you that didn't start playing club till maybe 16U or 17U. But did you notice that you you were getting this really quickly, like in terms of uh, playing for a good club team, but also like redshirting, playing up for the provincial team or starting on your own provincial team when it was time? Like, did you know that you could take this to a really high level when you were just starting out? I think I wanted to, and maybe that's why it happened, just because A, I'm really competitive. I would like to say I work really hard. That's something I've been taught my entire life. So I think even if I wasn't maybe recognizing that that's what was happening, I think I wanted it so bad that in my brain, like it was going to happen. Um, But yeah, obviously when you start making teams, you're hoping that it's, like trending in that direction but yeah definitely I was very focused on continuing so I think that helped I don't know if sometimes it's hard when these things are happening for you to be like yeah like that um, I'm that guy like I'm that guy (laughs) I definitely don't think I was like that but I really really wanted it so I think that's what's driven me to this point for sure and uh, you and I were just talking before the show about uh, some of your national team teammates. And, and I was hoping you could share the story of uh, playing uh, up on the provincial team, but just what you thought of Hillary Howe and what some first impressions were. Now that you guys are, are friends and obviously teammates, but what did yeah. uh, f- 14 or 15 year old Casey think of Hillary? Yeah, I just remember, I mean, you'd be at all of the volleyball Alberta events and the dinos and pandas. That was always the like matchup that everyone was like whispering about if that ever came to be. And I think we just go sit and watch the older Panda Dino matchups. And uh, Hill was a middle at that point, I think, too. Um, and she would just dump balls, like, just absolutely thump them. And everyone would just be sitting there like, oh, Hillary. So then I remember Team Alberta happened, and I was like, okay, like, I'm underage, but I'm still going to go try out for this team. Like, why not? And, uh, yeah, I just remember being like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm a red shirt, but, like, Hill's on my team. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> and, I mean, Hill being the wonderful human being that she is was obviously the most welcoming, kind, cool person to hang out with. So, uh, yeah, like I said earlier, it was like, yeah, badge of honor. Like, Hillary Howe is my friend. I'm pretty sure we were trying to look for a photo of our team. I was, like, the most awkward-looking kid, braces. Like, I was probably the size of my one leg now. And I had, like thick Lululemon headband and I look like such a little loser next to her and she's just like <laughs> just, you know so sure of herself this like super sick 16 year old player and I was like I'm just happy to be here like this is sweet <laughs> but yeah we were trying to find that photo I don't know if we ever did but it's definitely out there it's definitely embarrassing for me and I think we actually played Kira Van Wright in the final that year Team Alberta versus Team BC um and Kira destroyed us. All. Like, I mean, it's Kira. She had that arm since she was, I don't know how old, but yeah, that was a tough final loss for us for sure. Uh, I'm curious, when did recruiting start for you? Like at a club like Panas, I'm sure there's a natural connection to uh, the university program, but uh, was it playing provincial team or playing Canada games that you started to zero in? Or when did you start looking at some post-secondary places, whether it was Can West or you wanted to leave the province or even look at NCAA? Yeah, so 
I mean, Canada Summer Games, I had already, I think at that point, committed to UBC because I had remembered meeting a lot of my future Seabird teammates at Canada Summer Games, like in the CAF and stuff. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, the PAMIS program is really beneficial for athletes in general because you're given the resources, you're given information, you're taught how that works. And I think that was really important because it allowed me to start looking. And I think, like I said before, I was in such awe of so many of the Alberta girls that in my brain, that's where I originally wanted to go. Um, but my mom and I sat down and had a lot of conversations about what I wanted my post-secondary career to look like and what was important to me. She made me write out a pros and cons list and, um, and like pros and cons and things that I wanted from it. And one of them that actually ended up changing was I wanted to leave home. Like I wanted to go do an experience volleyball somewhere else just because, I mean, I had been in the same place for however many years I was playing club. So I think even seeing my brother go away for university and talking to him and hearing how he really enjoyed being able to move away and do all of these things, I think I began to sort of shift about what I wanted. And um, so then I started looking at other schools as well, like reaching out. Um, I definitely was late to it, I think, because it took me a while to figure out that that's actually something that I wanted to do. And I think because I was so laser focused on the U of A after being in the patent program for a while, that um, I wasn't married to that idea, but I thought less about other places. So I think my mom really helping me think critically about that helped me because I also had to look at what was good for me. You know, like the U of A has always had a super deep program as well. And, um, Obviously, um, I was making the transition from a left side to a, uh, a lib too. So I needed to decide whether A, I was going to stay as a left side and play somewhere or make that transition. So I think there were so many various factors going into it that I had to think super, super critically about what would work for me. And I ended up, I reached out to a couple of NCAA schools as well because, I mean, at that point, I wanted to just play and play at a high level and get better. Um, but then I actually came out to a visit to UBC and then I saw the campus and I was like, okay, I'm pretty sold here. And I like to win. Obviously, UBC does that. Um, yeah, so then I ended up making the decision to come to UBC and I actually had a conversation with Doug and he had said to me that he was looking for a year younger than me for my position. But um, basically what came out of that was I actually was the age he was looking for, but because I had been playing up, I had ratted early too, because I started school early as well. So I actually took a gap year and just played um, with Griffins that year as a lib slash left side, but more of a lib, because that was my goal, like to at least become more familiar with that position before I transitioned onward. And then that made my um, pathway at UBC a little less like stacked on the seniority side because at the time they had a fifth or a fourth year and a third year so they would be a fifth year and a fourth year when I came in so like the, the flow was just a little bit easier that way so that's sort of how that played out and then when I came in there was less of 
kind of like a stockpile at the end where I would be not playing for a really, really, really long time. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I pulled up the roster from your first year and you're right. Uh, Samantha was there, Laura was there, and then Jess was there. So you were joining a pretty yeah. impressive libero room, but it, somebody who's been around and as successful as Doug, I'm sure he is stacking the depth chart in terms of what years yeah. and then the cycle. So that's very interesting to hear that they were considering that. So knowing that, did you go in your first year with not a lot of expectations that you you didn't need to start to have a successful rookie season that you were there to learn and develop? Or were you thinking like, hey, I know we got a fifth year, but I'm going to try to win every drill just because you can't switch off how competitive you are? Yeah, I think uh, at the time when I had first originally spoken to Doug, it was only Sam and Laura there currently. Um, And then Laura actually had a really, really terrible injury and tore her ACL and did more than just that. I don't know how all of the terminology for what she did, but it was really bad. So um, Laura was then out. And then Sam actually left the team. So I get a call from Doug in the summer before I'm supposed to move out there. And he's like, hey, so just so you know, given like all of the circumstances, now I've had lots of conversations um, with Sam and she decided that she needs for herself to, like, to make this decision. So currently you're all our only libero. And at first I made the decision to go there because I was like, okay, it's a fifth year libero. I'm going to learn a lot from someone like Sam. She's an unreal player like that in itself. Having someone above me who's really good, it's only going to make me better. And same with Laura too, right? Like super athletic, super skilled. So my thought was to at least learn and compete against people that were better than me because I would have chances to become better. But then all of a sudden it was just me. So I was like, okay, let's get back to work. Like, let's do this thing. I think I'm pretty sure I said that to Doug on the phone. I was like, all right, well, I'm ready to work. So whatever the case, let's just get after it. And then he said, he had mentioned that um, in that call that Jess was a potential. And then later on we had spoken and Jess had made the decision to um, come play. So then it was Jess and I there. And again, same thing, like, Jess, I don't know if you've ever seen her play, but the ball control on that girl is absolutely ridiculous. Like that girl is so technical and so calm. So in my brain, I was like, okay, great. Someone who, in my opinion, is very different from me. Like I maybe am not so technical as much as I am just stubborn. So I think we played very different games and I was excited to benefit from that. Um, And then Sam came back for second semester she rejoined the team and then Laura started to rehab back. So really when you look at the roster, it was the second half of the semester when there was almost like an overload per se of libs, but then the transition was not as bad after the fact. So were you on the 2018 to 19 team? Was that your first year? Yeah, when we won nationals at the U of A. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I totally missed that in your bio because the COVID thing confused me about your fifth year. So you are you were on that team. Yeah. So you enter, yeah. not with the expectations to play. You, you battle, you earn that spot. So, well, sorry for not bringing that up. You're a two-time national champion. But anyways, uh, okay. about that team, was there anything that you needed to get comfortable with? Because obviously you're excited. Doug is, is trusting you to take over the position. But did anything really get tested? Like the speed of the game, the level of the attackers? facing against Kira every day in practice? Like, was there anything you're kind of like, wow, this is a little bit different than club ball? For sure. I think with every level that you go up, that's just going to change the speed of the stat, the height of the hitters, the height of the block. There's just so many different things. 
serve velocity, at what angle the serve is coming from, that's always going to change each level you go up. So I think there's always going to be a learning curve, and that definitely was there for me. Um, especially, too, now I'm playing in five, so I'm, you know, stepping down the line, strapping on, ready for KBR to just fire one down at me. Um, so that was definitely a learning curve, and I think um, that was different. But again, my competitiveness helped me for sure. Um, but yeah, just learning the position and what it means to be a libero was something that I had to transition from because, I mean, as a P2 or a left side, you could pass a bad ball, but you know you're probably getting that ball back, coming right back to you so you could do something with it, right? Whereas as a lib, there's just a very obvious mistake. And then after the fact, there's not much you can do. You pass that ball, you hope that your setter can do something with it if it's a bad ball. So I think that transition was difficult for me. Um, just like accepting almost not the pigeonhole of what being a lib is, but the nature of the fact that your job is to put the ball up in the air in a good spot and then move on from that afterwards, I think was difficult in itself. I think I really missed, like when 2v2 happened in practice, I was like, all right, this is my jam. Like, here we go. It's still my jam. Like if I'm playing 2v2, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a run for your money. Like that's where I'm going to just get it all out, warm the shoulder up. But yeah, that definitely was new for me is learning even just the emotional side of being a lib. It's a lot different than the left side. And I think as who I am as a player to really thrive on the constant involvement of being a left side. So finding new ways to stay involved and also execute as libero was something that I am still working on, but really, really had to hone in on when I made that transition. And yeah. then obviously when you have two really strong lips come back second semester, I then had to transition back to more of a practice player role. But I still could serve because I had played left side for so long, I had a really strong serve. So I just worked really hard to utilize that. And I ended up being a serving sub in um, like a more of a DS role. So I was still getting my lib reps and I was still able to do a part of the game that I'm not doing normally if I'm in the opposite color jersey. So I think that helped. Yeah, if it's not too personal, take us behind the scenes with that. Like you mentioned, like when you're playing outside, you get to hammer balls, you get to fight your way out of situations. When you play libero, mm -hmm. it's kind of like a deficit of like, you can make a big dig, but that doesn't lead to like point scoring or anything. But the counter or the, or the question I'm trying to get to is you play with so much positive emotion. How do you walk the line of, I'm going to have to calm down and get a really good first contact. But when my teammates score, we're having success, like you're driving the energy, you're keeping the engagement level. Like, how do you find that balance? Because I think there's some old school coaches that want their libero to be so steady and so reliable that they don't want them to be the rah-rah player. And then there are coaches who want them to be constantly communicating, picking people up. So like, how do you walk the line of like, you're going to get your job done, but you're also like pumping tires and getting other people engaged? Yeah, uh, I'm honestly, I think that's something that I actually really had to learn. Like, where is the line? What is the line for me? Where do I play my best? I think part of being a libero really is being in a really, really strong support system for the people around you. And I really enjoy that. That's something I began to learn about the position. Um, you know, like, I'm the goalie. 
essentially. But like, I'm a little weird. I like to have, <laughs> like get balls like flung at me. But um, basically, my job is to make sure that I'm helping the team. Like, I'm the last resource. I'm not like the one maybe going out and getting the goals or so many hockey references. There's my <laughs> childhood coming out there, but. <laughs> um, the support side of being a lib is actually, it can be a large load. And I think emotionally it can be per se, draining. So I think for me, what I really, really had to focus on was who am I as a player? What do I bring? When do I play my best? And once I figured that out, I was like, well, why would I try to play any other way than where I play my best? So I think. I did a lot of work with um, Giselle from the Winter Will, and we we spoke about this a lot because I think, like you said, some coaches they don't want to see that they want the steady, like head down, do your thing, um, sort of player. And I think that's great. I think everyone actually needs to have a level of that. But I think at the same time, if I'm a super ferocious competitor, then why would I have to like bring that down? to play a position, I think like finding the positive in being that way actually is what drives me. But I definitely, when I was younger, needed to learn like, okay, I can't be here at this activation level the entire time. A, it's not sustainable. And B, like there are times when you're going to have to give less for the people around you also can sort of sink into that. So finding that balance of like who your teammates are as well as who you are is important. And that doesn't mean you shut yourself off so other people can do really well, but you have to manage the relationships around you while also being an authentic version of yourself because at the end of the day, that's how you're going to be the best. So I think that's just an ongoing work on, but I think that's something that's really, really stuck with me is that if I'm not being who I am and like being the athlete that I know that I am and the person that I am in my play, then I'm not going to execute. But I also have to understand that like there's a balance. So I think finding the line was really difficult, but finding the line didn't mean that I like ignored what made me good. If that makes sense. When you are trial and error, and I do mean trial and error, any young athletes listening, like it, it, you're not going to figure this out on the first day, you bring attention to it. But are you are you keeping a journal? Are you talking to coaches? Are you straight up asking a teammate, hey, when you score, do you want me to jump up and down and like hug you? Like, how are you finding like the, these little secrets of one, being authentic, but two, also like providing to your team? Because it sounds like you don't do it because you want to be jumping around and being silly. It sounds like you're that's how you want to contribute and that's how you make people around you better. So uh, I am curious if a younger athlete's kind of like, yeah, I want to be an energy giver too. How did you find like a clear definition of what you want that to look like or feel like? Um, I mean, again, like I was lucky enough to be provided resources from a young age and that's often called like pandas where they challenge you to think about those things. Like I was speaking with Giselle when I was 14 years old. Um, and other sports psychologists as well. So, I mean, that helps. And then I think moving forward, I would, after a practice, like say, this was where in my journal, like this is where my activation level was. This is, this was good. This was bad. This felt too frantic. This felt too low. I need to be here. 
Um, so I think just that like repetitiveness over time really helped and like writing it down so I could remember it and also like check back in. And I also try really hard to do like a pre-practice, pre-match check-in with myself too. Like what are my goals? Like what do I want to bring? Um, whether that's like something intangible or something like skill. So I'll do a bit of both. Like I really want to focus on arms first, then angling my path. And then my second one would be like, I want to be a calm, consistent competitor. I also want to be stable and I want to make sure I'm support. So like I kind of put those out and then I come back to it after and I almost give myself a score out of how well I think that I did in those areas. And I think that kind of helped because it's also giving me a sense of, okay, this is how I felt before the game. This is what I wanted to do. This is my activation level in the game. This is how I did. And then I could kind of piece together why I was there, why I wasn't maybe executing completely, like finding that loop of what was going well or poorly and which part of my game was affected because of it. So like whether it was like, okay, that was technical. I just really struggled to stay in my position and angle my arms correctly. That was technical to find. This one, that was me mental because like, I couldn't reset properly after a point or like, see, that was, I played really great because I was in a flow state and I was interacting with my teammates in a really positive way. I felt like I could rebound. So it really just almost became like this dialogue between myself and people around me, but also a really, really long list and time spent reflecting on my performances and like what I was doing to sort of like weed out where where I do well and I'm still working on that too right I mean you're gonna have to keep elevating yourself every time that you move up in any level of play um and I think in regards to asking my teammates I mean yes sometimes like you're gonna have to go up to someone and be like what do you need like from me what is something you need during the game and they'll they'll usually have an idea like oh when I make a mistake I don't need you to tell me like good one next one I need you to give me like technical or like tactical or something like some sort of feedback they have an idea of who they are so like if you need to have that conversation to understand more of what makes them play better then that's great but I think a lot of it too comes from the fact that if you just pay attention to who they are as a human being on and off the court and you can create a very well-rounded understanding of that. I have a teammate at, at UBC that I know when she makes a mistake, like she loves to hear like, hey, get your head out of your butt. Like, come on. And she'll laugh about it. And there's other people that I know that would love to just be given more of like a supportive or like, um, you know, it, so it varies. And I think understanding the people around you and making sure that you have those connections is really important. And then at the end of the day too, like I'm getting really fired up when someone gets a huge kill or like a big walk or something because like that's just who I am. I'm not doing it to like, let's say fire the troops up. I'm just authentically showing up in the way that I would because I'm responding to something. If that makes sense. I rambled a bit, but no, the, my the, exact is, loop went in my brain. <laughs> no, this is really, really good. I'm curious, does it ever get tested when you switch teams? Like obviously you're at a university team, maybe you've built those relationships or there's more time for social. Um, 
insecurity is not the right word, but I'm wondering when you're in a new space like the national team and maybe you think certain athletes have played this many years of pro or they've been on the national team, like, are you able to bring this authentic, like your style, or do you take a little bit of warming up when you're on the national team or a little bit of trust equity before you can do this with, with just athletes you're not as comfortable or haven't been around as much? I mean, yeah, there's always going to be a transition period when you're on a team, whether that's you're coming back to one or you're going to a new one, there's a transition period. And I think, um, the, my pathway into the senior gym this year was quite quick and also unexpected. So I think I didn't really have a lot of time to like figure it out. I just told myself I was going to go in there and be myself. And even if that felt really scary and awkward, like that was one of my goals. And so I think really forcing myself to be uncomfortable a little bit like get I mean Doug always says get comfortable being uncomfortable but really that is super super true in so many different areas of life whether that's in volleyball I mean it's really preachy and cheesy to say that sorry Doug but like (laughs) it's true the guy knows what he's talking about and I think that was my goal is to show up as myself because again like I said if I didn't do that I wasn't going to be performing so I think did it feel great all the time to go in there and be like, Oh, I'm going to get, I'm just going to do me and be me when I don't know any of these girls. And some of these, and I look up to these women. So it, it, it was maybe uncomfortable, but it was necessary. And I think doing that allowed a certain level of reciprocal, reciprocal trust to be created because they saw me, I saw them. So I think that's beneficial. And I mean, we went to Italy for a training period. So I got to like play uh, besides these people before we went into competition. But yeah, it takes time, but it also takes a level of dedication to just doing the darn thing, if that makes sense. Um, But yeah, and I also think it is different too. I mean, I was a rookie again. So and with that, I mean, there's always going to be a level of change in how you are and so like coming back to a team where I'm now obviously a very fast player been here a long time it's a little (laughs) different you know so um you really just have to make sure that you're being yourself and understanding the dynamics of the team so if someone beside you maybe doesn't need that much like overload like then you're not going to do that and I think there's pros and cons to both like being a rookie again, like you kind of get to be not babied because there's no babying in that gym, but like your role is just different. And I think at the same time, you still need to like step up to a standard, but it, it just shifts. And I think knowing yourself really well and also trying regardless of like how close you are to someone recognizing them as an athlete and how they perform as an athlete and a person is just what you have to do. So yeah, regardless of what team you are, that transition is going to happen. So you kind of just got to keep grinding it out and finding where your flow state fits into everyone else's flow state around you. This is awesome. And to hear how high level your awareness is, uh, I was wondering if you could give us an example of your reset. Like, it sounds like you're pretty in tune with what your teammates need. Let's say in the rare situation, you get aced or you shank a dig, like how do you bring yourself back or how do you 
communicate to your teammates what you need in those situations. Yeah. Um, I mean, for one, like I let myself feel the like frustration of not executing a play. I think if you just completely ignore the fact that you're frustrated, then it's probably just going to like sit in your chest and simmer a little bit. So I think like, I'll miss a dig or I'll shank a ball and I got to give myself like a little clap. Like, yeah, get that out in the air. Like, let's just not avoid the fact that I'm pissed because I probably am. Like, I obviously don't want to be shanking that ball. That wasn't my intent. But um, yeah, feel it out. And then I really try to remind myself that I do have all of the skills necessary to succeed. I say that a lot in my brain. That's one of my affirmations. I really work hard to try and tell myself. And I think simplifying things in my brain helps a lot and I'm still learning how to do that like again everything is a process and there's going to be days where I feel like my reset is money like I could make a mistake and I'm already on to the next one like that's fine and there's going to be days where things aren't flowing well so that reset is more of a grind to get to so I think for me is just resetting reminding myself that I've practiced these skills, I know how to do it, but not letting that be my Achilles heel. Like you shank a ball and you're like, why did I do that? I passed a billion of these balls in practice. No, not that sort of narrative, more of the narrative. You wrecked us out. They're going to do good things. You got to let them do good things. And now you're going to do something good. Is something I've really tried to learn because at the end of the day, there are going to be unreal players on the other side of the net. So if they're not beating you once or twice, then I don't know. That's, it's just going to happen. That's the reality of volleyball in general. It is a game of mistakes. So I think I've been working really hard to like flip the narrative of how that pressure is a positive thing. Still an ongoing thing. Like, let's be honest, passing Bosch mix and serve is not the most, you know, calming thing I've ever experienced in my life. But I think, this constant exposure to things that keep pushing you like that helps you work on the reset because you're just, you're repping out how to reset, if that makes sense, in different scenarios. So I think, yeah, I'm still learning how to reset, but it's reminding myself that I'm capable is probably the biggest one. And then also, I'm definitely someone that after I shank the ball, I don't want someone to look at me and be like, good try. Like, <laughs> that, it's all right. You know, we don't need to do that. You know, like, let's just, acknowledge the fact that was a really bad pass and then I mean I appreciate from a teammate feeling that they trust me so like hearing like I know you got this or something not patting my back or like fluffing me up because I get like I'm like I don't really need that that's fine like let's skip the whole like cradling thing I don't need that that'll just bother me more but I think almost like an unspoken level of certainty that they also know that I'm capable is great. Whether that's something that occurs or not, but everyone wants to feel that in some regard. So having my own sense of that certainty and then also knowing that I have teammates beside me that are supporting me in the same way that I'm supporting them is a really good feeling. That's, I mean, the goal of a good team, I think, at the end of the day. Like you want to have super talented athletes, athletes that's going to help, but how well you can also sort of lean on each other is really important too. You mentioned earlier 
part of wanting to go to UBC is, is you are such a competitor and certainly they win a lot. So with, uh, gosh, I can't even call it one person's era because there were so many people, but following like the, yeah. the Richie Cordonier, Shanice era of, I think they won six in a row, uh, to yeah. the team wins in 16, 17, and then you win in your first year. Uh, I am curious, how do you like to think about winning or how does coach Reimer and the rest of UBC like to think about winning? Because is it something that like, it's, it's an expectation at UBC? Is it more process driven? Does it depend on the group every year? Like, uh, as you mentioned, they certainly win a lot, but I'm curious, does it change with the group coach Reimer has, or is there definitely like a, a history or culture that goes back to like the, the Shanice era? I mean, obviously when you have a history of championships and winners and winning constantly that's something that's just already there it's almost an elephant in the room like people want to beat UBC you know we play teams and people want to beat UBC because we are UBC and I think that's just there that's just natural that it's going to happen it's like playing Team USA you want to beat Team USA because they are that team so I think um, that's going to be there regardless but I think the key to Doug's success and I think his team's success too is that he doesn't apply the same formula to every single situation. He's someone who's very process driven and I think um, I call him a wizard a lot because sometimes you just, you know, you might not know exactly what's going on in his brain. In fact, you might not have like any idea of what's going on in his brain, but he just seems to figure it out and make things great things happen consistently. And I think one of the biggest strengths about Doug and also the program is that he takes into account what the program looks like that year. And he will openly acknowledge that sometimes it's different every single year. And I'm pretty sure I've even heard like him say, this isn't that team. So we can't play or expect to do the things that that team did. But we're this team. So what does this team do well? And how do we maximize that? to be as successful as possible. And I think that's actually in itself a really good way to think of even from your previous question, a reset, because if you just keep trying the same thing over and over, if that's not what's needed in that moment, then it's probably not going to happen. So I think the culture of success and winning comes from this recognition that each team is unique and each team has its strengths. And weaknesses that both need to be worked on to get to that end point where you're raising a banner. And sometimes it doesn't happen. Like we went through that little middle period. I mean, like COVID didn't help things, but we went through that transition period where we weren't winning and we weren't making it out of playoffs. And that was devastating because A, like I said before, there's that expectation that UBC is going to be doing good things throughout the entire season, making it past regular season. Um, so like that in itself is a horrible feeling. Um, but we had to figure out why we were losing and what wasn't working. And then the next year we came back and we were different again. Some of the things were still there, but there were new things. So like that in itself was a process. And then even in the year we were lucky enough, we were still allowed to train during COVID. Like there was restrictions, but we had the facility and the staff and the, protocols available to us that we could keep training. I know that wasn't the case for a lot of people. So I felt very grateful. But even if we were only allowed to do back row threes or two people on the court, no walking, we found a way to work on things that we needed to work on so that when we came into a season that we were playing in, we weren't just 
mindlessly doing our thing. So I think that's something as Doug in each year does a really, really fabulous job of figuring out what's needed given the situation and the time. So, yeah, that that's Doug for you, the wizard. <laughs> there is. I get a lot of people asking me like, "What? How does he do?" I'm like, "I don't know. I nobody knows. He's just there's he knows how to do it, and it's just." It comes from him being a great person and an extremely intellectual human being. So you put the two together and it might not make sense when you're looking at it and you're listening to it. Sometimes you're like, what are you saying? Like what? <laughs> Half a sentence will come out of his mouth and he's like, you got it? And you're like, no. Nope. But then it clicks like the next one and you're like, I don't know how we just communicated that, but we figured it out. <laughs> um, yeah, he definitely understands the how to create teams that win but I think it it's not just an instantaneous thing and I think people buying into that is what works there there's so much good stuff to get to uh, I am going to jump ahead to your national team stuff we can talk UBC uh, more we'll have to get you back on the show but to, to jump ahead to your national team experience uh, I think what Shannon is doing is amazing and there's definitely a core group there uh, but I would say the libero position was open for business. And I think that's reflected in your age and how you were able to come in and jump in that spot. So were you expecting to be on the A-team this summer? Or how did the trial process go? How did the depth chart shift? Because uh, there, there's some really young, talented women on that team. And I think some positions are really tough. But uh, man, libero was open for business. And you definitely uh, jumped ahead and took that spot. Yeah. So um, <laughs> like I said earlier, the my pathway into the senior A gym was very rapid and all of a sudden, and um, I made the next gen team. So the tryout for next gen had happened. That was my goal for the summer. I was like, okay, I'm getting back onto that next gen team. I want to do two, the second year. I want to improve again. Made the next gen team. And I was like, okay, nice. I have a month off. Like I can get back into the gym, like an actual like off season lift before I'm starting to train again. Um, I can tend to my life event order, you know, like exams, all of that fun stuff. <laughs> and then um, it was like a Monday and I had just done one of the hardest workouts I've done in, I don't know how long, because I had been in an in-season training program for so long that I was like, okay, I'm just going to go wreck myself because I have a whole month. And uh, I'm pretty much limping my way home after doing the assault bike. And uh, I get a text from uh, Trailing Dwyer and she's she says, oh, yeah, Shannon was wondering if you wanted to practice with us. And in my brain, I'm like, oh, someone's hurt. Like, okay, when do you need me? Like, what days do you need me? And Carolyn was pretty much like, no, like, you should clear your schedule. Like, can you come in tomorrow? And I was like, damn, I'm really regretting that workout I just did. Like, <laughs> and I was like, um, yeah, sure. Like, obviously, I'm about, I've never, I was never going to say no to any offer to come up with that gym because one of my goals going into the summer was at least to make it into a practice. Um, but I was like, yep, see you there. Like, like the first day of school, I'm strapping on my little red backpack and I'm like, here we go. <laughs> I like called my mom. I was like, so yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. And then trained with them for the week and then met with Shannon on the next, the following Monday. So I trained with them Tuesday onwards, Friday. Met with Shannon on Monday, and she was like, "We're really impressed with what you're doing. Like, really, honestly, we just brought you in to, you know, have you around, pretty much like 
keep working in the gym. And I was like, okay, but we're actually just going to consider you for travel now. And I was like, oh, sweet. <laughs> like, cause I was like, <laughs> here I was thinking I was getting reps. I mean, I obviously went into it and I'm competitive as heck. So I was like, I'm going to try as hard as I can to make an impression at the very least. And play to the best of my abilities given the situation. And so she, um, I mean, she pulls all of the liberos to the board and she pretty much just states again that like every travel selection, it should be difficult for every position. But the nature of having a strong program is being able to have options. And I think that's why there is such a heavy emphasis on making sure that next gen, like our B team is doing well as well, because we want to have movement. That means the program is expanding and getting better that way. So she just reiterated that to us. And um, yeah, she's like, so, I mean, it's going to be a grind. It's not going to be easy. We'll just keep letting you know when you're traveling and whatnot. And so I think we found out on the Thursday or something, Wednesday night maybe, whether we were going, who was going to the first round. Um, And like I said before, I thought I had a month off. So my family was actually coming to Vancouver that Friday. My cousin was in a a gymnastics competition at the Oval. My brother was here, my aunt, uncle, mom. Like, everyone was coming. And I find out on, like, Wednesday night. So I call my mom. I'm like, hey, um, I'm actually not going to be here when you guys are here. And obviously, she was stoked. But she was like, I'm really bummed. But, like, thank God you're not. Like, this is awesome. So they came, they had a vacation, but I was on a plane out for the first round of BML, which was crazy and such a whirlwind, obviously. But I didn't even meet some of the girls on the team until we got to Italy because some of us met them there. Like I think Lex and I met for the first time sitting at a small little lunch table in Italy. And I was like, hey, I'm new here. <laughs> He's like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just inserted myself there, I guess. But definitely. I felt really grateful the entire summer for the fact that there was such depth in that position. And all of us obviously are around the same age and we are the young ones on the team, like all the lives are the babies. So um, that again, I think that's something I even learned at UBC with people ahead of me is that people being better at something or having more experience is not a negative having people around you that are going to push you and make you better is inherently beneficial. Like there's no way that's bad for you. So if you could look at it in a way that that competition is beneficial for all of you, then I think that's going to help you. So having the talented women around me that they were like Julia and P were just already really solid. And so I was looking at it as a, positive that I even just got to work with them and against them in that way not against they're my teammates at the end of the day I really thought like them being there and us all being there together we're just going to make us all better so I think that helps all of us and um, that's not easy to do I mean you obviously it's a grind but I think I will always say this that 
the people beside you on your team will always make you better, even if you're the same position. So if we're battling for the same position, we both should be pushing each other. And at the end of the day, that's nothing but the best for the entire team and my own self. Like if at the end, like all of us, like if Julia wasn't as good as she was, or if he wasn't as good as she was, and so on, then I wouldn't have gotten better or I wouldn't have continued to get better. Like I was taking whatever I could get. And so being able to work with such talented athletes all the time helped me grow and will continue to help me grow. So I think that's just kind of how I looked at it is not only am I digging and receiving and setting some of the best hitters in the world, I was also in the gym with Unreal Liberos who were also doing skills really, really well. And I think that competition is really positive. This that is, learning environment is really positive. For sure. This is so cool to hear the behind the scenes of it. I had no idea this much went into it. This is awesome. I am curious hearing about your process and just so how self-aware and genuine you are. Did you feel like you had to accelerate your goals? Because it sounds like you were happy to make the team, but now you're on a team who's trying to go to the Olympics. So did you feel that like you could match their goals and expectations pretty quickly? Or did you kind of keep that like genuine feeling of like, this is so cool. I'm going to soak in like every minute of this experience. I think having the mindset of I'm going to soak in this experience actually helped me shift my goals and also take advantage of the training opportunity. Because I think if I went in there, without that like love for the game and excitement to be a part of what was happening, then I think maybe it wouldn't have been as easy to deal with like the ups and downs of a summer season like that, right? So I think it allowed me to remain, like have my perspective still remain really open and wide. And I think that helped me stay in a really competitive environment, even when it was coming to like travel decisions or roster decisions. I think that I'm just happy to be here and air quote it because like that's not who I am as a person. I'm never someone that's like, oh, this is fine. I'm content here in this little, you know, my spot here. I'm content. That's not how I'm feeling. But I think just a level of appreciation for the opportunity was how I went into it. But I mean, my goal, even in the next gen B team gym, wasn't just like get better to like crack a spot it was i'm getting better because like we're going to the olympics as an entire program and that's what i see myself doing in the future anyway so i think i was already wanting to do that but then when you i mean you're now on the team that is traveling and rostered for those events then you have to like again dig deeper into those goals and i think so it was a really easy transition for me to buy into that because I was already thinking about it. It was already on the dream list. Like it was just further along on the like timeline. But then the timeline shifted. So I had already thought about it, but now it was like this is happening now. So like what now am I doing around this accelerated time frame? With an openness and the like level of appreciation for the fact that I even got to do that. And I think Every opportunity that I was lucky enough to receive is I just try to remind myself that not everyone gets those opportunities. So, like, I really, really try to remind myself of those things, even in, like, not just national, but, like, next gen last year. Like, I was grateful that I had the opportunity to train. And then I was grateful then this year to, like, travel. So, I think 
being really focused and have that bulldog mentality about achieving my goals while also remaining really appreciative of the fact that I get to do that was something that helped me a lot. Although it's not that sunshine and rainbows, rainbows in my brain all the time with that narrative. <laughs> like, let's be honest, I'm not sitting here like, I am at peace all the time because this is where I'm at. Like, that's not how it goes. It ebbs and flows for sure. But that was my overarching theme. That was the, that was the goal. <laughs> this is so great to hear the behind the scenes and everything that it's taken to get you to your level. I mean, I'm looking at the clock and I know you got a team meeting and practice today. So thank you so much for making the time. Uh, one tradition we've tried to build into the show is just a funny, unique story. So obviously you've, you've accomplished so much and we're, we're probably not even halfway done, but I was hoping you could share a, a funny experience you've had before we let you go to practice. To, does it have to be volleyball related? Not at all. No. Like, Oh. I'm just such a funny person. I don't know what to pick from. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess the first thing that comes to my mind would just, I mean, I feel like people will love this. So I'll let this one out. Last year, I was in the next gen gym and um, we were doing, I think we, we were doing gameplay at this point. And one of our middles was having like a low load day. So she wasn't, supposed to be attacking etc as much and so she therefore wasn't serving and normally like what happens is a left side or someone will just serve for the middle and they'll come in and play and I'll just stay in five and it also just happened to be that Shannon was there that day uh mulling around you know helping out Carolyn and um we were trying to figure out who was going to serve and uh I was like you know what like I know for a fact I have a great serve. Like I DS for a while for Doug. Like I'd wrap up a couple aces. So I was like, I'll do it. Like, let me serve. And I also love serving because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make you pay. Like now you have to be on the receiving end. Like I pass all your serves all the time. So like, let's flip it up. So I was like, I'll serve. And um, Shannon like, kind of looks at Cody, our strength coach, and um, our physio. And she's like, well, is that fine? Because I, I think our other leg at the time, her shoulder was bothering her from a dive or something. And I like looked at her and like, sometimes I talk a lot. I say some, some off the rip stuff. Like it just comes out and I'm like, oh, maybe should have kept that one in. Like, <laughs> and I'm also at this point pretty terrified of Shannon. Like I only really know her as the, like the, the bun with the power in the gym, the other gym most of the time. And I look at her and I'm like, oh, I'll serve, like, for sure. Like, I'll do it. And she's like, well, is that going to be good for you or the other people? I look at her and I was like, Shannon, live arm, let the girl go. Or some, something really stupid like that. Like, I literally just told Shannon when I have a live arm. Like, who, who do I think I am? First of all, it's my first year in the gym and I'm a libero. Like, this is it. But Carolyn O'Dwyer, she's known me for a long time. She coached me at Team Alberta, like, a few times. Um she obviously is laughing at this point because she also knows me very well as a human. So she's like, that's pretty on brand. Like this girl's an absolute, like she's a little crazy, you know, she's super competitive. So like she was not surprised that came out of my mouth at all. But I think everyone was just super surprised that I just like put that out in the universe right at Shannon, just like we had just come into our practice to like whatever. And so she like rolls me the ball and Shannon goes, all right, well, Better be a good serve then. You gotta back that up. And so I go back and I'm like, Man, what have I done? Like, why did you say that, Casey? Like, I'm, you know, the truth of thoughts are just like firing through my brain. Then I was like, you know what? You're right. It's time to pop off. And I think I just like mucked like two, one or two aces like in a row. And she was like, 
all right. And then after that, I was like, okay, I can breathe again. But I had never like looked at a ball so hard and been like, this one's got to be good. Like that point right there was national championship, like 25, 26, like moment. <laughs> like, oh my God, after the third one over, I was like, good, we're done here. But um, yeah, Carolyn O'Dwyer definitely grossed me for that one after I, Shannon was like, the next day, I think Karen gave me a hard time for having a live arm afterwards. But I made sure to tag her on the only mattress and said, see, so. <laughs> She knew, she knew. She knew this dog was going to bark. I'm going to have to ask Coach Shannon about this, but I, I don't think anyone's ever popped off in one of her practices before and had this uh, level of confidence before. So good credit to you for doing it in your first year. Oh, God. I don't know. Might as well. <laughs> well, Casey, this has been awesome to hear the behind the scenes. Like I said, I don't think we, we've covered most of it, but it was cool to hear your process and go so in-depth, and, and I definitely got a lot out of it. So hopefully the listeners learned a lot too. So much great stuff here. Um, we'll have to get you back on, but yeah, go enjoy video and training, and, and best of luck the rest of the year with UBC. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for letting me ramble on your podcast. <laughs>